Hello everyone and welcome again to Punks on the Pitch, a show where the beautiful game meets uh, brutal music. First off, straight off the bat, apologies for no show last week. Um, we had a guest lined up, everything was set to go, and then unfortunately they had to get called away at the 11th hour, so it was too late for me to scramble around and sort something out, so that's why there was no show last week. But to make up for that, rather than having one guest this week, I've got two. Um, being joined by regulars of the show and good friends of mine, uh, we'll start with Man United fan, Astral Noise editor, George Parr. George, how you doing? Yeah, thanks. And Liverpool fan and all-round lovely guy, Denali. Denali, how you doing? Not bad, thanks. I'm all right. Um, so I've brought both of you guys on because I thought we'd do our first kind of transfer special as we've had our, our first January transfer window since starting the podcast. And usually, like, January's not like the most active but i think there's been some quite like decent deals for for obviously the predominantly premier league teams um some european teams bringing in cl- uh, players as well pompey bringing in some players which i'm not going to dwell on too much because nobody apart from me really cares um but like i guess to open the floor like is there any standout transfers that have been made this this January that either of you have kind of caught your eye? Um, I mean, obviously, there's like Odegaard going to Arsenal. Yeah. He is still like one of my all-time top wonder kids. I just hope he, like Arsenal don't ruin him. <laughs> yeah. I think he's a great... But what has like really stood out to me is Demarai Gray going to Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah. Because... Since winning the Premier League, he's not really done a lot, but he's still only like 25. So, and Germany's the best place to get English talent started again. So, seems maybe, to be. yeah, so maybe that'll do something for him. It'd be interesting to see how he plays out there. Mm. Most well, George, of, what were you going to say? I was going to say, most of the good deals from this, uh, from this month or from last month seem to be loans. Like, Mm. I don't think anyone's got the, the money to spend at the moment. You know, I think there's only a few teams. If you look at the, the Premier League, it was only um, a f- like four teams that actually spent, you know, a decent amount of money. And one of those, which was United signing Ahmad Diallo, was actually agreed in summer. It just only went through this this window. So Yeah, and I think, know. like, that's the thing with the January transfer window. Obviously, like it's kind of a bit of like patching up where where you need to with your squads and, and stuff like that. But I still think it does bring up some interesting points. Like, I know Diallo was one that, as you say, it was kind of already agreed, but it's an interesting sort of player to bring in, especially the way United are playing at the moment. Like, I don't know where he fits in straight away. Because like you've got the likes of like Rashford and Martial playing so well, is is he going to be a player that is in the team immediately? Like, do you? Well, he's he's still young, but I mean, we need a right winger, mm. um, and obviously we didn't get Sancho last last summer, which was the one we seemed to spend ages, you know, deliberating over bringing in. Um, but I don't know whether he'll be ready right away. He did score twice his debut for the under-23s against Liverpool. <laughs> um, he, he's got One of them was a penalty, but the other one was a great finish. The penalty was a Penenka as well on his debut, which is, just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's, uh, he's confident. But, but I think there's a thing with players at that, that age, sometimes just physically you're not there. Like, he, he still looks quite thin. Um, you know, he probably needs to toughen up a bit before he's ready to be regular first teamer, but I think he'll be ready um, quicker than like we signed um, uh, police street in uh, the summer window. Uh, he's around a similar age. Mm. Uh, and he actually went out on loan in this window because they obviously just figured he wasn't ready. 
after having played in the twenty under twenty threes, whereas Diallo looks a lot like closer. So mm. there's a chance that he'll feature sooner. Yeah. And obviously Liverpool, I think that, well, it's not kind of like a big name, but an interesting one is obviously bringing in <coughs> Ben Davis from, from Preston as a kind yeah. of uh, cover for um, Van Dijk. Well, yeah, all, <laughs> yeah, all your centre-backs. But I don't know, yeah. like, it, does it feel like a bit of a grab bringing someone in from, from Preston to like essentially patch up a Premier League championship winning defence? Um, I mean, in a way, you can see it that way, but it it did feel like an odd one. Like uh, getting in Quebec seemed more of like the obvious choice, mm. um, which is a brilliant. De- like Michael Edwards is, I don't know how he gets his deals done. But <laughs> he just seems to like you spent an outlay of like two million quid, and we bought two defenders. Like, well, Quebec's on loan, but like the try before you buy deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Ben Davies, it was a bit of a shock. Um, I didn't really know anything about him beforehand. Um, obviously, when it first went, like, got announced, I was, with my, um, was talking to my friend, and he was like, what, from Tottenham? I was like, no, no, like, so it's not, like, a big name. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we've proven, uh, I mean, like, Leeds proved they come off a team full of championship players and do all right. Wolves came up for championship players and do all right. And we bought, you know, we bought Andy Robertson from Hull when they got relegated. We bought Shakiri when they got relegated. And they've all turned out to do pretty well for Liverpool. I mean, Robbo's now arguably one of the best left-backs in the world. So, yeah, I'm not saying Ben Davies is going to go on to be one of the best centre-backs in the world, but give him a chance right. and give him mm. a shot. Were you a bit worried that it was a bit desperate though? Because I saw you getting linked with so many different centre backs in those last yeah. games. Well, it was a bit. It felt like leaving it so late uh, was frustrating yeah. because it's not like we didn't know that we needed a centre back. Uh, we've been out Joe Gomez and Van Dyke pretty much the entire season. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, we don't have as much money to spend because of the pandemic. No one's re- and January is hard to buy players anyway because you're like getting in premiums to sell mid-season but it feels a bit yeah does because it was so out of the blue and so it's not like a name we've been linked with before or talked about and it was just a a bit of a shock but you know I also don't know when I don't think they're going to play tonight Mm. it feels too quick to throw them straight into the team but then do you debut them against City? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, to go from playing in Preston to facing Gabriel Jesus. Like, it's not going to be... I don't know when. It's going to be a hard... I mean, it's playing Brighton tonight, but then... Uh, is it Brighton tonight? Yeah. Yeah. How, how long is the contract as well? Because is there not every chance he's just going to, after a, a little while, when people are back, he's just going to end up sitting in the, yeah. the bench? Oh, I think that's part of it because his contract I think is like it said it was a long term contract mm. um, I think maybe that's part of it signing someone like him rather than going like all out for Upper Menko or something like that yeah. is because when Van Dyke's back you're going to be sitting on the bench um, that, yes. yeah like you don't want to be paying a hundred thousand pounds like a hundred thousand in wages to sit on the bench every week mm. And like as you say, um, it's going to be a baptism by fire. Like no matter what team you're playing, like going, yeah. f- going from Preston to playing Premier League standard, it's like no, because like obviously there was a post-match interview the other week with Jordan Henderson, like him <coughs> basically saying like, I think the the journalist was like, oh, you can go back into midfield now, mm. which he kind of laughed off. But it's like, well, no, you've. Are Liverpool going to risk that of like throwing yeah. someone in that is unexperienced at, at that level? Well, that's it. I think if he does play tonight, then he's going to be playing with Hendo. Um, like I don't think they're going to pair him with Nat Phillips. Mm. As good as Phillips has been when he needed to play, I don't. That would be too, too much of like an inexperienced Premier League like centre back partnership of having your under twenty ones and some guy you just signed 
Yeah. It might not even be a really clever yeah. position, just like a solid centre back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, some people have been saying about these, like, because he's left footed, uh, which yeah. is quite a rare thing in having centre backs. That's a big thing as well. Like, yeah. having someone on the left, like, if you're someone that plays out from the back, having someone on the left who's left footed, it really opens up the pitch for them so much more. Yeah. Uh, I was watching the same thing with Stephen Warnock and his passing is um, they were going over it and he doesn't take the easy passes. He rakes it across field. Um, mm. So hopefully, you know, that will speed up our counter-attacking football. Um, and we can be so dangerous. It obviously showed against West Ham at the weekend where we went, like, our counter-attack was like two, three touches from mm. like, Shakiri to Trent to Salah. Like, it was... So hopefully that's something that's going to bring an extra thing for us. It's going to be a big step up. It's going to be a baptism of fire, but hopefully it'll work. Because <laughs> <laughs> now we don't have Matip, and well, we've made up glass anyway, but that's... <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. Well, you mentioned West Ham, and they're like a team that I did want to just focus a little bit on, because they've had... Some interesting incomings, but outgoings as well. So I guess because George, you're here as well, like the Jesse Lingard move, I think yeah. it's been not necessarily to West Ham, but him obviously going out from United for a while has been something that's been on the cards for a little while, it seems. And like I find it quite interesting because every time he, I've seen him play for United, he seems to be like quite a decent player and a player that was always sort of skittered around the fringes of that United team. So I think one, it's interesting that it's a loan deal and two, that he's gone to a club that clearly have desires on getting back into Europe. So do you think this is a good move for, for Lingard? Yeah, probably. I mean, he's obviously, he's been with Moyes before and Moyes probably just knows what to expect from him. Mm. It's probably something in, 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 in that for why he's gone there um but he's not played in a while i know for the last year or two that there's been a lot of like personal stuff that's got in the way for him and then this year he's had to isolate a few times and um other personal stuff that's kept him from being on the top level but um i don't know i think like a few seasons ago when he was he actually found a place in the team for a while he was kind of filling a hole in the squad where we didn't have any creative players and now we've got creative players and when he plays he just looks like like so far off of where they're at yeah you know, especially Bruno Fernandes obviously um but Pogba as well and now Van der Beek um and I think that really what he offers is he's just a hard worker like he doesn't stop running and he actually featured in a couple games last season for us um we had a week where it looked like Oli was going to lose his job and we were doing really badly. And we had City and uh, Tottenham in the same week. And you're thinking, there's no way he can get through that. And we ended up winning both of them. And in both games, he played Lingard um, purely because, like I said, he doesn't stop running. And we were mm. playing a counter-attacking football mm. and he will just press to the final minute. And that will probably suit a team. Like I think he's well suited to a team a little bit lower down where there's slightly less pressure and... At a top team, uh, if, even if you're not, even if you haven't been winning championships like you know United haven't for a while, you're there's still that pressure where it's like you just have a couple games off the pace, and it's you know people treat it like it's a complete failure. Whereas you can be, you know, if you're if yours Zaha at Palace for example, you can kind of have even just three games a season where you're phenomenal. And people mm. still talk about you like you're their best player, even if the rest of the season you're slightly off it. So I think that, that you know, lack of pressure would will probably let him just get back to enjoying football. And you never know; it could be that his he just kind of fizzles out and never quite gets gets back to where he was, or he could refine some form and have a good rest of you know rest of his career. Mm. And the other sort of like big highlight that kind of comes out of West Ham is Ajax paying t like mm. twenty point three million for Sebastian Allaire, which I, for me like I think is crazy because like 
He's not exactly a player that was moving mountains at West Ham, so that's like Moyes must be like rubbing his hands that he got that much for him. It's weird as well because Ajax aren't a team that spend that much that often. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it's, it's it's like half of what they paid for him, so they they, they lost money on the deal. Um, but I, he he's been doing all right out in Ajax, but I think he just didn't fit West Ham's system mm. that works so well for Antonio. But now if Antonio gets injured, they're fucked. Yeah, like, yeah. They're gonna have to play Yarmolenko. Uh, like, I wonder again if it comes from the the financial aspect. Like teams are really struggling this year. Like any any time a team has a big sale, like like my like local team Crawley, who we've spoken about on here before, um, had Max Waters, who was you know scoring for fun for us, um, and he went this this window. Um, supposedly for about a million which is basically just going to make sure the club can keep going for a little while do you know what i mean mm. and so team team yeah. cashing in if they see that opportunity yeah. yeah yeah i think like as you say okay they've taken a kind of a bit of a hit on the on what they initially paid for it but it's obviously recouping some of that money and obviously that some of that money's gone into the ben rama deal as well so yeah. Yeah, it kind of all it all works out in in that world. But um, like I don't want to kind of go club by club, but like there's a few other ones that of note that I thought was quite interesting, like West Brom bringing in uh, Robert Snodgrass, a player who's well sort of versed in relegation fights. But like the interesting one for West Ham, I thought was um, Ainsley Maitland Niles going on loan from Arsenal, who. Mm. They like it's weird again, kind of similar to to Lingard. Like when he came into that Arsenal team, like there was a period where Arsenal fans just didn't rate him, and then he had like five or six really good games, and it seemed like he'd be impossible to knock out of that first team. And now all of a sudden, he's been shifted on on loan to West Brom, which I don't know. I think like it'll be good for him just to get like Premier League minutes under his belt, and then kind of maybe force his way back into Arteta's team. But I don't know. Does anyone else feel this is a bit of a weird move? Or um, well, it feels like looking at the things that West Brom have brought in. They say like Snodgrass and Lonergan. Like that. That's going to be experience. Help them in that. Like shore up the team to mm. that re- like relegation battle. But I think like Mike the Nails is just like it's going to give them saying that they may be lacking a little bit, like in the, as an attacking threat. Um, and yeah, maybe it, like it helps. Maybe it's going to help both like all parties where he's going to get Premier League minutes. Uh, it's going to help West Brom try and stay in the league, and then it will help Arsenal in the long run because they've got a player that's got more experience and bit more like time on the ball like talent and stuff mm. like actually out there playing rather than sitting on the bench or sitting in the bus watching the team like <laughs> yeah i'll be honest yeah. he is he is getting to an age where if you're not making it into the first team you're probably probably not going to like mm. with lingard it's different because he's a bit older like he came into the team a bit late mm. um, it's kind of weird it felt like his time had already gone and then he came into the team Whereas Maitland Nars is at an age now where it's it is kind of like that time where you start thinking about okay maybe it's not worked out, but there is still I I I think there is still a chance he goes back to Arsenal and becomes like a squad player, but I can't see him being a starter for them. In the yeah, no, yeah. And the other kind of lone move that I thought was quite interesting was uh, Everton bringing in Josh King. So mm. obviously, like he did great things for Bournemouth, but. And has obviously been doing quite well in the championship, but, but I don't know. This feels like a strange fit for me because, like the like from the few games that I've like full games I've watched Everton, he doesn't really seem like the player that fits their playing style. I could be completely wrong, and he could end on end up being really good for him. But I don't know. Like, does it? Like, I just feel this is a weird one for me. He's not a bad backup striker to have. He's quite, he's quite quick. Um, I saw him play quite recently, actually, because um, Crawley played Bournemouth in 
the FA Cup. Mm. Um, and he he played in that because he hasn't really been playing for, for Bournemouth. Um, and it was, you know, for them, obviously playing a team two leagues below, they played some weak, you know, some a slightly weaker squad and he started and he looked really good. Like he was, he was just pushing it past the defenders and running, <laughs> and running onto it. They just couldn't beat him for pace. Um, and it, it seemed like he, he just missed out on moves to bigger clubs in the past as well. So it seems like he's wanted out for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And th- my, um, so, uh, my friend, uh, He's a Bournemouth fan. He's saying that he's, he's got like a bit of an attitude problem in Bournemouth. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've kind of always he, had that he, impression. He like he's like good enough for the Premier League, you know? Yeah. yeah it, felt, it felt like a sort of weird sort of transfer merry-go-round there with like King going to Everton, then Long going to Southampton, then Tacky going to Southampton, like uh, Long going to Bournemouth and Tacky going to Southampton. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like a weird, like... And I think really Everton probably will work. Well, I mean, they're better off because they've got a player that they obviously wanted. But I think Shane Long would do better for Bournemouth than uh, King did. Mm. And Taki's gonna, if he plays, will do better for Southampton than Shane Long. So it's everyone's kind of won in that situation. Yeah, it was kind right. of like one of those moments where. It's like a domino effect. You needed one deal to happen for the others yeah. to, to go through. Yeah. Um, like when you're selling a house and you're in a chain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> um, but yeah, I don't like, there's nothing other kind of like massively stand out. I think like Naley, you mentioned like Odegaard coming back to coming into Arsenal. That's one that's definitely of interest. It'll be. Mm. Very interesting to see how he fits into Arsenal, and because I think like it's always the case with like these sort of play young players that are dubbed like wonder kids and whatever, and whether they live up to expectations. And yeah, I'd, I don't know if Arsenal's necessarily the right team, but I guess only only time will tell. Um, the one sort of outgoing that I did want to kind of touch on, which I feel really sorry for the dude, um, is um, Danny Drinkwater at Chelsea. Yeah. Like, a player that fucking won the league with Leicester. Got, I think, like, him going to Chelsea in the first place was the worst move for his career that he could have made. And now he's gone on loan to a club that I... I've never heard of in Casim. Ka- I can't even say it. Casim Passa. I don't even know where that is. I'm going to quickly Google it. But I mean, talk about tanking your career. I feel sorry for him. Mm. Yeah, that Leicester team got picked apart after they won the league, um, and they've been rebuilding since. Most of the players have gone on to be, you know, to show their quality. But he's kind mm. of kind of. Uh, not followed that trend yeah no. so apparently they're a turkish team but i've never heard of them but he was probably playing at a, a fairly decent level still then yeah i think they're top flight turkish but they're not your like galatasaray's or bashiks or something like people the ones that you've heard of yeah yeah and just on turkey just because i saw it before we kind of jumped on this call and i thought it was quite funny obviously one of the bigger profile ones that happened earlier in the window, and we've spoken mm. about it on the show before, was Ozil finally leaving Arsenal to go to Fenerbahce. Um, but I didn't realise this at the time, and it only just came up <clears throat> on this article that I saw kind of like doing a transfer roundup, is Ozil like, took a photo um, when he got to Istanbul, and like, like the caption is to Piers Morgan and it says Piers I took took this with me from London to Istanbul to remind you of and it's a toilet roll with Piers Morgan's face on it so I thought <laughs> wow. that was so that was pretty fucking cool and he's even hash, <coughs> he's even hashtagged it poop on Piers so <laughs> fair play Meza Ozil um, yeah. before, before yeah, we you, move oh go on George I was going to say even, even when he wasn't playing he still looked he still came out looking like 
like he had all the cards in the situation because you couldn't you could never kind of blame him because it's like Arsenal gave him this huge contract so you know why would he want yeah. to walk away from it and at the same time he was always quite gracious and, and stuff on 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 social media and yeah like like making the club look stupid without calling them out and and still winning the fans over when he wasn't playing you know yeah yeah and I think he did it really well and like I mentioned it on the episode I had with um Simon a couple of weeks ago that like for when he came into Arsenal he was like one of the most exciting players to bring to the Premier League so you just kind of hope that his kind of golden years aren't past him and he still has some good playing time at Fenerbahce yeah yeah, I oh, think he's still got a lot of quality. So. Very interesting signing. Um, really looking forward to 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 meet Ben finally because it was went all pretty quick and and these kind of things. But you can imagine that in the last few weeks and days um, we had um, we had always to consider our, our situation and to think what 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 can we do, what do we have to do, stuff like this. And then um, so we were always looking all over. Um, Just because we're on sort of like transfer news and. Naley, I'm going to give you props to to flagging this up because uh, it's t- kind of tied in with the transfer news at the moment. But this is the story obviously surrounding Andre Villas Boas at Marseille and kind of so the, we'll get into why I can't get my head around the the actual thing about it. But him kind of essentially leaving the club because of their sporting policy in in mm-hmm. how they work transfers. So before we get into like the reasons behind this and everything. This is something we're seeing more at clubs. And I think, I think Liverpool, like I think Klopp's even come out and said it in cases with Liverpool as well. And I know a lot of bigger clubs have it where they have these sporting directors that essentially do all the transfer business. Like obviously managers have their input of like who they want to bring in and so on and so forth. But like, yeah, the, these managing directors are the ones that broker the deals, and sometimes you end up players with that you don't necessarily want or aren't the targets that you went for, sort of thing. So I don't know, like being fans of bigger clubs, how does this approach to transfer policy like sit with you guys? I thought this whole case was fascinating because it can, like like you're saying, it kind of confirms what people have known in that the managers aren't the ones doing the deals so much. Um, and I guess that was always the case to a certain degree, but there's, it seems like there's more steps in the process now when more people in the boardroom who all have to, you know, more owners and, and investors who have to sign off on things. Cause it's, it's just, I mean, um, I feel like there's a lot of top teams and top managers who are getting players who they might not necessarily be against signing, but they're definitely not their top choice. Yeah. So, like, as a United fan, I know that it came out that Oli identified four targets last summer, and we didn't get any of them. Um, but then he definitely, it you know, they it was confirmed that he spoke to every single one of them on the phone to convince them to come. The signings we did make, that is. Mm-hmm. So he clearly thought the ones we did make were okay. But I mean, before that, I think I think. Ollie plays that really well, actually, in that he never targets the board. And I think that's helped him keep his job. Whereas before him, Mourinho would make would would make the board his enemy and, and hint in press conferences that he wasn't happy. And we had a game, oh, which game? I can't remember what game it was. We we had a really horrible performance and and and, and lost an important game in his last year as manager. And he didn't make any substitutions and he got asked afterwards, why wouldn't you try and change the game if you weren't winning? And he said, well, I didn't have any options. You know, what am I supposed to do? And he had Fred sat on the bench who we just signed for like 60 million, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And it was pretty clear that basically he only signed off on Fred because he thought that he wasn't going to get any any other midfielders and he desperately needed some. Um, yeah. But then in the same in the same sort of it's it's you can in a in a way I'm I'm not one to defend the you know people at the top the, the executives and that but you can almost see where they were coming from with Mourinho because what he kept saying was that he wanted a centre back but he'd already signed three and spent you know tens of millions to do it 
and and wasn't happy with them so they were saying well why would we keep giving you money to sign centre-backs mm. you know, you've still got three that you that you signed on on our wage bill you know like if you're not happy with them that's kind of on you you identified them but but like i don't do you see this because i don't know like in my head it's always been like the manager is the one that makes the the final decision mm. obviously he's not the one that's like writing the checks and whatever but he's the one that goes to the chairman and says like, if we take united as an example like i want paul pogba you go out and and get him for me essentially mm. whereas we're like obviously we'll get into the the avb case specifically in a minute but like this where you see clubs kind of like go for a like a player that they want rather than what the manager wants yeah is that a worry of like how the game could go because like you see like i don't know i'm trying to think of an example but like where you literally a manager has a player on their squad that they have no interest in not like in a disrespectful way but it's like they don't fit their system mm. so then they're just sat there like getting a salary like it's probably damaging for the player as well yeah so for a manager to just say they don't want you basically or make it clear through their actions that they don't and i know what you mean it's kind of worrying and i think it's it's um symptom it's it's a symptom of the fact that teams are very it's it's all quite um quick these days and people are impatient and it's all results based and the fan bases are quite re uh, reactionary as well in that as soon as something's not working or seems to not be working immediately you know the immediate answer is i'll oh, sack the manager or and and it's never really thought out so it's mm. like if 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 i'm having a discussion with another another united fan who thinks that we should get rid of Solskjaer i'm willing to to listen and say okay why but not if it's literally just oh you know because because we didn't win this game or whatever uh, like i want to hear the the reasons like why what do you think it is that isn't working and won't work and who do you think we can get in that that will make that better and improve those things and it's often just based on this initial reaction of this is bad therefore we have to do something and that should be you know get rid of the manager and that puts teams in a place where they are consistently cycling through managers you know Chelsea yeah, yeah, yeah. a famous example but other teams are following suit United have been doing it since Ferguson left um, as well and um, it, it kind of means that they have to think in terms of like how can we build a team when we don't have a manager here for more than a few seasons and really the you know a lot of teams have done it in a clever way by having sporting directors who oversee the team and they'll bring in managers that fit that team but a lot of the teams seem to just be scrambling to make it up as they go along yeah d what's your kind of view on this sort of like sort of outsourcing um, like transfers it's it's very strange like because um, for me, like I still think the manager should be the one that has final say on everything. Yeah, agreed. Um, but there's always been, I mean, like Schalke had the transfer committee. Um, I think there was Liverpool had it for a while with Rogers. Um, and there's something you know where they've make decisions on. They kind of say like what they think the club needs, or like, but not necessarily like it's someone that's done that's not working with the team all the time. Mm. Um, and I know like like City have a sporting director, but their sporting director only really seems to step in when transfers are made. When Guardiola says I want this transfer, and then they step in and sort it. Mm. It doesn't seem to be like oh well we're getting you this player making it work. Yeah, it's not always the um, footballing people making the decisions. Yeah, yeah, um, it's it's a financial thing. And yeah, so, I think yeah. so. Like in terms of the 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 case with AVB, so for people that aren't familiar, 
on transfer deadline day, Marseille bought in Celtic midfielder, I think, I'm going to probably butcher the surname, but Olivier Champ, I think is how you said surname. But, and he, like, Boas basically came out and was like, this is a player I never wanted. Like, he wasn't on my desired list. (coughs) So this is what then sparked him. So this is where my confusion comes in. So this sparked him to hand his resignation in. Which, like, I think is fair enough. Like, if you're at a club that's going to kind of undermine what your vision and stuff is, then fair play. But the club have now suspended him. So I'm like, it's almost like a, a well, I'm going to fire you before you quit. It's like, well, I've already quit yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I think, like, my head, I don't, I can't get my head around that. Like, how can they suspend him when he's quit? I don't get it. I don't know. Sometimes, I don't know. Um, sometimes these things are you know you'll never know the full details until maybe 10 years later when someone writes their memoirs yeah yeah i guess with resignation it's more of a kind of like i'm offering my resignation and they can say you know yeah they don't have to accept it they can turn that down and then say well no because you're fired (laughs) (laughs) but you'd imagine if they fire him they've got he's he gets a (coughs) payout so they probably Mm. would rather just take the resignation but i i don't know how these things you know, properly work. Well, yeah, well, because, yeah, it's, it isn't a firing as such because it is certainly just suspending him for the time being. But, mm. it's yeah, it's really, like, interesting that I think as well for such, like, a, a high-profile manager at a quite a high-profile high club that, it, going back to what you were saying, Dee, it's, it is managers kind of, fi- like, pushing back, saying, like, I want final say on the players mm. that I'm going to be managing and like i was saying just now like i i I agree with you that is the way that this should be be done like managers should dictate what is on the pitch rather than some like guy in a suit going here's a player now deal with it kind of thing so i I don't know if if we're going to see more of this later down the line if clubs are gonna stick to this like transfer by committee or sporting directors kind of mm. approach to the game. It depends because I feel like a lot of a lot of managers probably go into a job somewhat knowing that that's going to be the case and they mm. have to play the game a bit. And maybe they maybe um, Villas Boas just sort of thought that they weren't living up to his expectations of what he felt like he was promised when he went into the job. And yeah. Like I said, some clubs can make it work with a sporting director who who makes the decisions and they bring in a manager who they feel aligns with their goals and with the the team. Um, But in terms of it being people who aren't really into football and the executives, you know, who come from different fields, from banking and all sorts, it's it's just strange for them to be making the decisions. Yeah. And yeah, I I think it'd be interesting to see kind of how this as i say this kind of goes in the future if we see more of this approach but Mm. i guess well again time will tell um something that i wanted to touch upon i know we're a little bit late on this but because we didn't have an episode last (coughs) didn't get a chance to to talk about it but this is obviously um thomas tuchel coming in at chelsea now before we kind of get into it like where do you guys sit on them sacking Lampard? Do you think it was a fair decision or do you think it was unfair? Uh, I think it was a ridiculous decision. Um, yeah, they're not doing as well as they did last year. They're not doing as well as you expect Chelsea to do. But what Lampard's it's only his third year as a manager. Yeah. So, like, um, and... I don't think he ever had the experience to make eight, seven, eight new signings work. Um, and it's, it's very, very harsh, very tough on Lampard to get fired um, when, yeah, it's not living up to Chelsea standards, but you need to give people time to make it work. If you, I, I, if people get fired far too quickly. Mm. Um, it's always been for the last couple of years. And, no one's given time anymore to make things work. And if you look at, uh, I mean, if you look at Klopp and look at Solskjaer, that they weren't exactly pulling up trees in the first seasons, and now 
Klopp's turned those into champions. Solskjaer's got United up at the top of the table now and it's given them time to make it work. And I think if he gave Lampard time, he may have got Chelsea back into those Champions League positions and built a team that could challenge the titles. But mm. you're never going to get that if you don't give them the opportunity to make it work. And that's the thing, like, the like obviously in his first season, there was he was kind of hindered by the the transfer um, mm. embargo, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but <laughs> you're right over there. I'm feeling really rough. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, so but he did obviously really well with like the likes of Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, mm. and things like that. But then like him kind of getting the likes of like Timo Werner and Kai Havertz who haven't by their own standards like appeared like they haven't shown up for Chelsea at all like I don't think that's fair on Lampard like that's not a reflection of what he is as a manager so yeah I don't like and kind of what you were saying earlier George like if things go wrong it's the manager that always gets the blame and it's not the multi-million pound signing of Timo Werner who can't seem to to get a goal for Toffee kind of thing. Yeah, all those players they signed were players that I hoped United would go out for, to be honest. They were all players I thought would do well. I was worried about them. I think loads of people were thinking Chelsea could win the league this year mm. and they just dropped off. Um, but yeah, so they were quick, too quick to sack him, but I think they were too quick to hire him because... You think he had one decent year at Derby and then they signed him. And I think um, really that if I was a Chelsea fan right now, I'd just think, what was the point in that? What was the point in this time where we've got in someone who maybe wasn't qualified to get the job just to sack him before he had a chance to build his team? Mm. That's something that really bothers mm. me as well is when managers get sacked without having been given the Because... <laughs> I think the reason Klopp's done so well is because he was given the time to build a team. I think Solskjaer's sort of been given the time. I don't know if he's been given the resources in, in terms of transfers, but he might get there. Um, and um, with with Lampard, I don't know if he ever could have got there or not, but we'll never know, you know? Yeah. And I think mm. even like like people compared him a lot when he, when he came in to Solskjaer because people were saying it's, you know, signing in a... a you know a, a legend from the from the team in the past it kind of brings back the spirit of the team and you know gets gets the players you know behind them and, and all that kind of thing um, but I feel like with Solskjaer he had kind of paid his dues a little bit more not at that level obviously but he'd kind of he'd worked with United's academy and he'd been he had that horrid spell of Cardiff but he he took a team in um Molde in Norway who hadn't won the league in in like decades and and won the league with him can you know won the league with them con- consecutively mm. um which yeah it's at nor at, at the Norway you know Norwegian football level which isn't isn't the Premier League by any standard but it still shows that you can take a team who aren't used to winning and instill that mentality and take them to the top. And he worked with um, a lot of top players. He worked with Erling Haaland when he was young and, and players like that. And kind of, I just think he had slightly more going for him when they brought him in. And even when United did bring him in, they brought him in as caretaker manager initially. And he got yeah. the job based on the back of what he did in that, in that position. With Lampard, it almost feels like they got him in as a scapegoat, knowing the fans wouldn't turn on him immediately because he's Lampard, um, knowing that they might struggle with the transfer ban. Um, and it seemed like he kind of rubbed up against people in the in the club and that they were looking for an excuse to let him go, which was just looking so a pure, you know, a poor run of results um, so that they could bring someone who they see as a top manager in. But I don't even think Thomas Tuchel is a guaranteed success so yeah and I'd be interested to kind of see before we move on to Tuchel himself like how Chelsea fans have reacted to because from what I've seen like most of them are a bit sort of were a bit confused especially like how quickly it happened but like as you say like that kind of idea of 
there you know that the Chelsea fans are gonna have a bit of loyalty towards him at the beginning of his of his tenure because of his legacy with the club. So I'd be interested to hear like whether Chelsea fans think that that's now been tainted by his performance as a manager because I don't think by any stretch of the imaginations he did a bad job. Like as you said, D, like okay, they're not on the <coughs> on the level that maybe Chelsea fans have come to expect. Mm. But they're still they were still winning games and putting in decent performances, okay, periodically, but it wasn't a like it wasn't like they were in a relegation battle sort of thing. So no. I don't know, do you guys think he's tainted his legacy or is he completely become a scapegoat and a victim of, of the Abramovich yeah. way? I think to Chelsea, Lampard will always be a legend. Mm. Um, you can't his playing career and stuff like that. You can't. He'll he'll never lose. So he'll always be really well respected there. Um, come with an asterisk now, though. That's the thing. Yeah. This little anecdote of there was a time he was the manager and he didn't. <laughs> work out, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. That's that's the, that's the annoying thing if you're a fan, I think. But there's the politics of it all. Is if you sign someone for big money now, you can't leave them out of the team no matter how shit they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the you know, because people at the top just say, well, why are we paying this person this much money if they're not going to play? And you know, it's it's just something that managers have to negotiate now as well as performances. Yeah. Well, obviously, we'll get onto his replacement, Thomas Tuchel, obviously best known for his sort of stan stun uh, yeah stint. Sorry, <laughs> uh, um, Paris Saint Germain. And we'll go to you first, George, because you're, as you say, you're a bit sort of sceptical. But I think because obviously Tuchel has previous, like, dealing with high-earning players, Neymar, Mbappe, he, obviously he's, on paper, he seems like the person that will fit into what Abramovich wants. So I don't know, why do you think he he isn't going to do do the business, so to say? Um, I mean, he could, obviously. Um, and so I think his team selections in his first couple of games have really surprised me as well and been quite interesting. But um, I think really the thing is um, that in some sense, going to PSG is a little bit of like a kind of an easy, easy bag in terms of the league. Mm. You know, if you, if you go to PSG and you finish second in the league, it's kind of, if you were doing a hundred meter sprint and you started on fifty meters instead of playing second, <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? yeah. it's like it. It doesn't. Um, it's not as as kind of tough um, in that respect. Although there's obviously the, the things of you know any top team is is tough and competing in the Champions League. But even then, for a lot of years, they were kind of disappointing. He might see it as a as a sort of something a mark against him that he never you know won something like that with PSG um so and and he's got a history the other thing is he's got a history rubbing up against executives and 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 people like and owners and people like that in clubs so I think no matter how successful he is I don't see him lasting more than a few years at Chelsea well because he's only got like a an 18 month contract as well isn't he or something like yeah. that yeah yeah so it's, 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 I feel a lot of the time when a manager comes in at this point of the season, the rest of the season is almost like an experiment. I think Ancelotti had that with Everton last year, where it's like they don't even really care where you finish, mm. how you do, um, so long as they, they're convinced that you're building something for the next season. And then next season, he'll, he'll you know, try and mount a challenge for, for some silverware. So do you think that if, we get to this point in the, in next season because, as I say, he's only got an eighteen month contract. And he say, for instance, Chelsea are in a similar position, or maybe they're kind of like floating around like fifth or something. Then we could be talking about Tuchel getting sacked. Perhaps maybe maybe the eighteen month thing is so that they can cover themselves and and just let it let it run out mm. if, if things aren't working out by that point. 
D, what's your take? Where do you think? Do you think he'll he'll prosper? Do you think he's the right person to bring in? Um, I think Tuchel will do well at Chelsea. He seems like the kind of manager that Chelsea always kind of go for. Uh, it seems like something key, like he's he's got good man management. Mm. Um, he should be able to make. You know, he's quite good tactically and stuff, and I think he'll be able to make that team work. Um, and it, like, I think it's a sh- it's, it's a shame that Lampard go for him to come in, but I always I could always see Tuchel being at Chelsea one day. Yeah, uh, it just seemed to like it seemed to fit like that was always going to happen. Um, and he's not had a like he's had a good career. It's it's weird that he's like he started off basically just replacing Klopp. Like, <laughs> yeah. Replaced Klopp at Mance, replaced Klopp at Dortmund. Um, but I think, you know, like George said, PSG is it's an easy bet. Like, mm. like, if you're not winning the league with PSG, then you've something's going drastically wrong. That's why Virginia um, has gone there, isn't it? Yeah. And it's... Um, and, you know, he, did, he got PSG for, like into the Champions League final. Uh, which is something that they've always wanted. So I think he'll do well. I don't think he's going to turn their season around this year, but uh, next season, we can see him winning something. Mm. Maybe not the league, but a cup, or, you know, he'll get something out of that team. It'd be interesting to see, like, who he brings in in the summer, because obviously, like, I, I mentioned two players at PSG, like, the, obviously, are, are household names, but. That like <coughs> PSG team does have like a good spine through it, so it'll be interesting to mm. see if one he decides to raid his old club, or two in general if Abramovich backs him with money to see what he can do. Like because obviously, like everyone knows, like PSG is one of the most like lucrative clubs in terms of financially financially backed in the world. Whereas Chelsea was that for for many mm. years, so it'll be interesting to see if Abramovich, because he hasn't really done it to the extent that he used to, put his money where his mouth is, sort of thing, and back Tuchel, or if it's going to be a kind of a another situation where they're scrambling around for like and cherry picking a few players. Yeah. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see what he does this summer. I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, one other manager that I do want to touch upon, just because it's kind of local to me and you, well, and and you to an extent, George, just a bit further down the coast. But um, <coughs> this is Jason Tindall getting sacked from from Bournemouth. Now, the reason I bring this up, not only because this happened this morning, but the fact that he was only given six months. And previously, Bournemouth have been a really kind of loyal club to their managers and Mm. just people that have done stuff for the club in general. Like, obviously, Eddie Howe had two stints there, but both very successful, was there for, I think in total, it ended up being like nearly nine years or something like that. Obviously, previously played for the club as well. Tyndall, the exact same, like was Howe's number two, has Mm. previous with the club. I think he was even captain for the club when he played there and stuff. And, like, by no stretch of the imagination, uh, Bournemouth doing particularly bad. I think they lie sixth in the championship, which, yeah, they're still in the playoffs. Okay, they may not be pushing for the title, which they might have hoped for, but they're still technically on track to bounce back to the Premier League. So, is this... Are they jumping the gun? I don't. This feels a bit of a head scratcher to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't. This is my first hearing of it. I didn't realize um, he's been sacked, and I think that's is a massive, is a big shock. I don't think Bournemouth, like I said, they're not doing badly. They're still contenders. Um. So it's, yeah, it seems strange to pull the trigger on him, especially like you said before. They can, you know, Eddie Howe was there for so long. The fact they went with Tyndall and didn't bring anyone else in from outside the club seemed to be like part of their sort of ethic of keeping it local, keeping it like a family kind of thing. Mm. Seems very strange. 
It, and like in the in the club statement, they've put like we feel the change is needed now to give the club the best possible chance to achieving the goals clearly set out last summer, which is obviously like either push for the title or get automatic promotion. But like they're th- okay, they're thirteen points behind Norwich, who are top of the table. But again, they're still they're still in the playoffs. Like I know the playoffs yeah. are a bit of a lottery. But give the guy at least a season. Like I don't know, it just just seems very strange. <laughs> Might be something behind the scenes. Um, really, in terms of not feeling like they're getting what they they expect. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's very strange. It's very very weird. But I could like I have a bit of a soft spot for for Bournemouth, and I think. Like, as you said, D, like they're having that kind of like they have always had that sort of like family community feel to it. So mm. I hope they don't kind of go out and like I'm when I saw it this morning. I think one of the first things I saw on Twitter was Harry Redknapp going there, and I'm sort of like, I know he has connection uh, with the club, but I don't know how I feel about Redknapp going. To no, play. I don't think that's the right choice at all. But who knows? Um, Cool, right. One final thing, because I think I'd be completely remiss if we didn't mention it on the day that we record this and having a United fan on, on the show and me being a smug Portsmouth fan, Denali living in Portsmouth, the 9-0, um, two, twice in two seasons, Ralph Hoosenhalter has suffered a 9-0 defeat at Southampton. I mean... The, like that's just going to be a permanent black spot for him now, isn't it? Like no, you can't go anywhere without mentioning it, surely. Yeah. I mean, I don't because he he looks like he's he's done quite well in the team that he's put together, and they're quite hard working, and they've played some good football at times. But I don't know, two nine nils is just insane. There's only been like three or something in the history of the Premier League. <laughs> Two of them now, <laughs> Southampton, yeah. under the same manager in two seasons. Um, but maybe you'll go on a good run again. Although, yeah. again, last time it felt worse than this, if anything, because this time they had all those injuries. They've got mm. red card two minutes in and another one that was a bit harsh. So, you know, and I think they didn't react well to the first red card. I think that's a big part of it. Like, I don't think they, they you know, playing against... 10 men um, is it's obviously easier than playing against the full team but if you if you put that man up you know if you make that gap just the, the man up top then you're still attacking against two banks of four and they're no harder to break down yeah but they yeah. seem to just be leaving space everywhere um, and United were just kind of ruthless just kept going for it and you can mm-hmm. see there's clips um, people are sharing around you can hear the Man United bench 10 minutes to go you know um, must have been six nil up at that point. I think the bench was shouting, 10 minutes to go, more goals, shout <laughs> more goals at them, like just just ruthless, just trying to build. And I think there was just a, they saw the chance to one get up their goal difference, which has been behind everyone else's since the six one lost to Spurs, and mm. a lot of comeback wins where we've won by one or two goals, and um. And also a chance to get people like Martial on the score sheet where they've been struggling for a couple, you know, for a little while. So I think it, they're just that United will just hope that it's like a huge boost in terms of everyone's confidence. Yeah. But, you know, coming after a week where dropped five points, including losing to Sheffield, you know, who are bottom of the league, it it feel it 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 could be really beneficial, but it also feels like at the end of the day, it's just another three points. Mm. to make it yeah. worth it because you know if you'd won 2-0 the situation wouldn't be that <coughs> in terms of uh, where you are in the league yeah but I think like in terms of kind of not just House and Hull, but I think Southampton in general like there's a, there's a Twitter account that has now changed its name but it was like has the 9-0 um, been mentioned and it, like whenever it's mentioned in like commentary or punditry it mm-hmm. always tweets it's like yep, yeah it's been mentioned um and now they've changed it to have the two nine nils which i thought was quite <laughs> funny 
That's but actually like, a really funny account. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've not seen that, but that's hilarious because I hate to say that commentary just they run out of things to say and keep yeah stuff. But it's it's like that. Like obviously, me being a Pompey fan doesn't have much sympathy, but <laughs> for like Southampton players, like surely, like for, like if we take James Ward Prowse as a as a like in a isolation because he's kind of seen as Mister Southampton. Like, that's got a great on you, surely. Like, to know that you're part... Like, I know the season is, like, 38 games and whatever, but, like, to be constantly reminded that you were part of this team that suffered two nine nils, it's that's got to have an effect, surely. Yeah, I mean, I've... It's, it's a strange thing that... Because my, uh, my friend... Uh, sent me this little because I checked up and he's a Southampton fan so when I saw the score it's like are you doing okay you're right. <laughs> you're uh, still alive yeah and he like sent me this list of saying like so they've got including the ones they lined out got 15 out 15 first team players oh fuck like, or injured or like and the guy that got sent off was really young it's like his first start in the Premier League yeah mm. so I feel bad for um, the individuals but I don't have much sympathy for Southampton because yeah. I I lived there for three years for uni. And I, worked, <laughs> I worked in a pub and I just grew to hate their fans. <laughs> just have a kind of like, I thought that going there and living there for a bit would make me kind of sympathetic to the team and kind of like them a bit. But honestly, it's, it, you know, I kind of, I don't, I don't love them, you know, yeah. at all. Like, so I kind of, I kind of, I don't, delight in seeing them do badly but i don't feel sympathy for them either <laughs> yeah. i wish i still worked in that in that pub because last night would have been hilarious <laughs> I, I was there for the the league cup final when we we beat them even though we played terribly and it was it was honestly hilarious <laughs> brilliant but um and also just to kind of rub the salt in the wound so when they initially i didn't see this at the time but when they lost the 9-0 the to leicester the official Pompey account tweeted out, congratulations to Leicester City for equally in the record um, biggest Premier League win with a clapping emoji. And yeah. then and yesterday they sent the exact same tweet, but yeah. just like, substituted it out with the Man United. They might literally gone back and copied and pasted it. And replaced well, they, they've, they've the, literally put it in... Everything. Yeah, they've literally put it in like a like a threaded tweet as well. So they've obviously oh, yeah. scrolled back, <laughs> yeah, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Um, but yeah, I think like just in terms of where like obviously it's one game in isolation and it will be a black spot against Halston Hootall, but hey ho, it's Southampton at the end of the day, so I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like you said, like we said, it's it's one game, so they, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, they'll they'll be the morale will be really bad at the moment, but mm. they've still just lost three points. You know? Yeah, they've lost one. Uh, yeah, and he's proven that they can come back from that because they've done it last season. So yeah, and just to bring it back to to transfer talk, like we mentioned it briefly before we hit record, D. But obviously, Takimi Minamito going there from Liverpool, he must think, "What the fuck team am I walking yeah. into?" And uh, I like, and I didn't want him to like. I would have rather we got rid of Aridi than Menemino, but yeah, he must be checking that that the like if the ink's still drying his contract, just to <laughs> see if he can get out of it. <laughs> it's a good challenge, though. So you know, yeah. Bon, le mercato va finir, va finir avec l'arrivée d'un nouveau joueur. C'est une décision qui n'était pas prise par moi, qui n'a rien à voir avec cette décision. Je l'ai appris par la, par la presse le matin quand je m'ai réveillé. Euh, euh, en fait, c'est précisément un joueur que j'ai dit non. Et, euh, et, euh, et c'était jamais un joueur qui était dans notre, notre liste. Et, et euh, il a fini pour euh, venir, je n'étais pas au courant. Je m'ai réveillé, j'ai regardé le... Le site maintenant numéro un en France pour des informations. Cool, de right. So before we do say farewell, we usually do a starting eleven, but because both George and Danelli have done one before, I've kind of, and there's three of us on, I thought we'd kind of go 
and make a super sub sort of edition and I'd bring that to the table as well. So I've asked the guys to bring a musician to the table that they think could come in, uh, come into a team and make an impact and make a statement. Um, so I'm going to start off because I've never done this before and it's my <laughs> fucking show. Um, but I'm going Steve Bronski from Cave In slash Mutoid Man because He's an absolutely insane guitarist that can play kind of, he can play hardcore, he can play metal, he can play doom, he can shred for days. But he he's also like a utility man. Like, so he obviously started in Converge and like he's filled in for Converge. He's filled in for various other bands. He has like Mutoid Man or a house band on a comedy YouTube show and he's shown his versatility with that. He can turn his hand to pretty much anything that he does musically so I feel like he'd be a midfielder that you'd bring on to kind of spread the play and give you a bit of creativity in the final 15 when you needed that goal when you're like in a boring nil-nil draw Mm. so Steve Bronski would be my super sub Um, we'll go Denali Who, who would yours be? So I I was thinking about this and I was like, do I want to bring someone on to like set like show up at the ship or like close down, like park the bus, see the game out? But that's not really the kind of football I like. I like I like, I'd rather run five four than one. <laughs> yeah. Like um so I've gone for Jason Butler from Let Live. Okay. because uh, I feel that I mean, he's got so much energy, so hectic, that if you bring him on with like 15, 20 minutes ago, the other defense are just like, they're tired, they've been holding out, and then suddenly they've got to deal with this fucking maniac coming on (laughs) and like running for rounds, getting that extra pace in. And it's just going to be like, oh, especially like, oh, if it's like going to like extra time or something. And you're just like, I've just done this, and now I've got to fucking (laughs) deal with like, this guy running at me like <laughs> it'd just be when those legs are getting tired he'd be able to run that extra bit further and just create the spaces behind so yeah i've gone for gone for him <laughs> brilliant george who's yours uh i've gone for the exact same reasons i, I <laughs> frank carter nice yeah. i thought just that's cool of energy <laughs> again yeah yeah you were like especially watching him back in gallows like the live shows was just always always up to 11 do you know what i mean so yeah I feel like if you bring him off that's going to be a, a real nuisance perfect brilliant well guys thank you very much for for joining me talking all things transfers and management sackings apparently but yeah. <laughs> um i'm sure as always we'll be speaking very soon but yeah for now thank you very much yeah. Cheers. No, thanks a lot.